please. We can never forget that we're only here because somewhere along the way, God loved us. That's it. God does not owe humanity salvation. God will never owe humans anything. But the Bible says that the only reason he laid down his life was because he loved us. Greater love hath no man than this, than that he would lay down his life for his friend. I'm thankful for the love of Christ. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 11. I'm going to try to finish this lesson in one lesson. But if I can't make it, then you'll just have to come back and hear part two. But I've got a lot of content. We're going through the basics of living for God. And I want to talk today about spiritual warfare. We're going to read Ephesians 6 and 11. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Also, I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Amen. Lord bless you as you're seated. Spiritual warfare. Whether you realize it or not, every day you live, you're in spiritual warfare. Somehow, we have arrived at this ideology that spiritual warfare is only something that certain people do through intercession at certain times, and it's real deep and it's real mystical, and, 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 and that's not, that is a form of spiritual warfare. But every day you wake up, you're in a war in the spirit. So you can call it spiritual warfare. You're not wrestling and fighting in the flesh. Scripture says we walk in the flesh, but we don't war after the flesh. You war in the spirit. And Bible says there is the spirit of error and the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth is what has always been which is God. That's why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The spirit of error is what came in uh, when Adam and Eve was deceived and brought in sin. So you have the spirit of truth, the Holy Ghost, spirit of error, the spirit of the world. And these two are just constantly 
doing good. That's why Paul said, when I would do good, evil is present with me. Because I, I'm trying to live for God here, yet I've got this thorn in the flesh. I've got this spirit of error worn against me because your flesh does not want to live for God. Your flesh, you ever made up your mind to do a fast and all of a sudden you got hungry like an hour later? Okay, I'll just, I'm, I'm the leader of that pack right there. It's because when you set it your mind, I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to, I'm going to fast, I'm going to pray, whatever. That flesh, that carnal nature is going to rise up and it's going to give you every reason not to do it. Every reason not to do it. That is spiritual warfare. We have here, here's our enemies, okay? The devil, we know that, 1 Peter 5 and 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So the enemy, first enemy, is Satan. All right? Then you have the world. First John 5, 19, the whole world lieth in wickedness. James 4 and 4, friendship with the world is enmity with God. First John 2, 15 through 17 tells us about the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Then you have the flesh, the carnal nature. It was received by Adam and Eve. Bible says in uh, Genesis 3 and 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Romans 6, 16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to him ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. 1 Peter 2 and 11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war, there's the word war, against the soul. I'm giving you some scriptures to build my foundation. Romans 8 and 8, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. James 1 26, And if any man among you seem to be religious, Bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is in vain. James 3, 8 through 11. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeded the blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. That the fountain send forth, send forth at the same place sweet water, and bitter. Galatians 5, 16, this I th say then, walk in the spirit. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. No man can serve two masters. Either you're going to be in love with one and hate the other, or you're going to love this one and hate that one. And so it's impossible to please God and please the world at the same time. You're going to please the world and displease God, or you're going to please God and displease the world. So you have Lucifer, the enemy of your soul, who doesn't want anyone to go to heaven. You have the world which is influenced by Lucifer. Okay? What is, what is uh, Lucifer, another title, Satan, another title is the prince of the power of the air. 
How does media travel? Airwaves. Can't see it. And so the media is influenced by Satan. Social media is influenced by Satan. He's using political figures. He's using, he's using musicians. He's using entertainers. He's using, quote-unquote, influential people in the world through their social media to influence millions, hundreds of millions of people. Because social media reaches around the world. And I'm going to just say this, and, and you may not even know what I'm talking about, because I didn't even know what it is until I read about it on the internet. But it is now the, the, the choice media, social media for young people, it's called TikTok. I don't even know about this stuff. I couldn't tell you what a TikTok is other than a clock. But like on social media, I don't know what that is. I don't have Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. But now it's TikTok and it's little 15 second, 15 to 60 second clips. And there's literally a movement being shaped by young people to create a, a political environment that is against righteousness and holiness. It's against conservative values. And it's aimed at younger generations. Because you remember, they may be 12 today, but if you start influencing them now, they will vote at one time. Okay? So parents, if you hear your kids say something about TikTok, just say delete TikTok. Whatever it is. Amen. Because they're in a war. They don't know they're in a war. But they're in a war. The Bible says in Matthew 4, 3 through 11, I won't read the whole story, but it's the story of Jesus being led to the wilderness to be tempted. He was tempted in three areas. Okay? He was tempted, number one, through his appetite or lust. He was tempted, secondly, by pride. And thirdly, he was tempted with power. And there's three areas that people are tempted. Lust, pride, power. Lust, pride, and power. You know, people say, well, my life would be different if I had just a whole lot of money. No. Poverty doesn't reveal character. Power and money reveal character. You want to find out who you really are? You get a million dollars? You'll find out real quick who you really are. Amen. This is what the Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 3 and 5, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. This is what James said, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. God does not tempt people with evil. He can't be tempted with it, and he won't tempt anybody with it. When you're tempted, it's because you're in a battle between good and evil, 
And you're giving more attention to evil than you are good. And it, it just it's just a small, it can be a thought. And then you let that thought begin to breed in your mind and you're going to eventually act on that thought. Temptation is not sin. Because if that's the case, then Jesus sinned three times in the wilderness. Temptation is not sin. But entertaining that temptation can lead to sin. You think about it long enough, you'll do it. And then you'll justify why you did what you did. Because we can all justify our own doing. Be careful. That's why it's so important what you surround yourself with. Crowds. If you want to be a life that's free from addiction, don't go hang out with addicts. Because you're setting yourself up. I don't care how strong you think you are, you're setting yourself up for failure. And then you're going to lead to condemnation. When you mess up, you're going to feel like you can't be forgiven. You're going to feel like I might as well not even go to church. I might as well not even go to that altar because I messed up. But it all started with who you hung, your, who, who you hung out with. That's why you've got to be careful what you listen to. You've got to be careful what you read. And I'm going to just pause and say this. Even if it's fictional, it can still be wrong. It can mess with your mind. Seeds are not healthy for relationships. It creates a false reality in somebody's mind. This is the danger with, with Hollywood. It's because it paints a picture that if you're going to fall in love, it's going to happen like this. But that is a bunch of writers making a story and selling, making millions off of a movie. That's not reality. And so what happens is people go from one relationship to the next because they're trying to, match, to, to have their reality match with that reality. And it doesn't work like that. Am I making sense? Amen. So you got to be careful what you put in front of your eyes or in your ears, what you read, who you surround yourself with because they all have influence over you. I mean, have you ever talked to someone, and I'm going to see how I can word this in, in the best manner possible. Just when you were talking to them or when you were letting them talk, just something didn't feel right about what they were saying. I'm talking about church people. I'm not even talking about worldly people. And you walk away and you're like, oh, I just, that just was weird. I talked to someone recently. I've never, I've never talked. Y'all are going to be the second time I've ever talked about this. Because I always thought I was crazy. And I may help somebody here right now. I asked someone, I said, someone who's very uh, proficient in spiritual warfare and the gifts. I said, have you ever been talking to someone and all of a sudden, your insides begin to quiver. Like you're freezing cold, but you're not cold. 
he just looked at me and smiled. He said, yeah. I said, am I crazy? What is that? He said, your spirit is not matching with their spirit. Something's not right with them. And that's God's radar going off in you. Because I've been around people. I've been around preachers. I've been around people in the church. And all of a sudden, I walk up, I walk by them, and I stop and I'll start talking. And my whole inside just start going like this. And I'm not cold. I mean, you'd have thought someone dropped me off in Alaska. But now I know that's God saying, hey, something isn't right about that. And when, when that person told me that, I began to think back. And some of the people that that's happened to me with, God exposed them. And the proof's in the pudding, as they say. Something wasn't right with them. So he told me. And I've had this happen as an evangelist. He began to tell me. He said, he said I was in, in one revival. He said, and there was a particular lady. And he said, I knew Something wasn't right about her. And he said, every time I'd go to look to work them altars, she was gone. And he said, his wife, he said, could be sitting on the front row. And he said, I'd watch that person walk through the back door of a big church. He said, immediately my wife turned pale and she'd start getting sick, like going to throw up. And she'd start trembling on the inside. It's because she picked up on her spirit. He said, finally, one night, I had enough of it. He said, and I, I was watching where that lady was. He said, and I just began to sneak around, and I went out the back, come up through the vestibule. He said, and she's doing this number, looking around for me. He said, and I just eased on up right next to her. And I just looked at her. He said, immediately, all the color left her face. And I just said, you still in adultery with that contractor? Because, see, we think that we can go through all the mechanics and all the motions and that as long as we fool people that we can fool God. But you can't. God has given, if you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got the same ability that I have or anybody else has. When you get around someone and you start feeling something on the inside, that's a radar going off. Something's not right. Something's not right. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right. You got to be mindful of that. It probably isn't a good idea to keep hanging out with those people because they're going to try to influence you. No, they're not going to do it the first time. They're not going to do it the second time. You keep hanging out with them. They're feeling you out. They're trying to see how far they could go, how much rope you're going to give them you got to be mindful. It's just all a part of spiritual warfare. So another area that we fight, we fight in the realm of doubt. Enemy would like us to doubt God's word and his power. Doubt his willingness and doubt his ability. Doubt is just as much a part of warfare as anything else. He wants you to doubt. If, if you can doubt God, then you'll spend your whole life coming to church, never seeing God work in your life because you never got past doubt. So you got a war against doubt. You got a war against pride. Here's two tricks of the enemy pride and condemnation. One of them says you're no good, that's condemnation. 
And the second one says, man, you are good. That's pride. And both of them will hinder your progress in living for God. If the devil can get you feeling unworthy, you come to the altar every time just like this. Just dragging yourself back to the altar. I'm no good, God. I'm no good. Nobody's good enough for salvation. Nobody. It's not about being good. It's about being forgiven. But then the other area is he wants you, to, if he can get you to start thinking you're, you're so good. Oh, you're, you're piano playing and your guitar, your Sunday school teaching, the way you teach and all this kind of stuff tries to puff you up. Remember, the first thing God kicked out of heaven was pride. The last thing that's going to raise its head in the end time is the spirit of Antichrist, which is a prideful spirit. That's why you see all this alternative lifestyle is motivated by pride. Feminist movement motivated by pride. And we're seeing an uprising against all authority. It's based upon pride. We are being intoxicated with pride. Everywhere is pride. And so you got to start, you got to start guarding yourself against pride. My old boss used to tell me, one monkey doesn't stop a circus. He'd have people quit, go. One monkey don't stop no circus. And I've thought I've seen people that thought that the whole kingdom hinged upon their ability. If you drop dead right there or you decided to leave the church, God's church is still gonna keep going on. God's gonna have a church. I love you. I want to I want to see you used by God in great ways. But if everybody on the platform walked off tomorrow, God's still going to have people willing to get up here and sing and play because he's going to have a church. And it's going to be a church that has him at the very center of everything it does. Amen. So we have to put on the whole armor of God. God gives us resources in this spiritual battle. Bible says in Acts 1 and 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. We receive power through the Holy Ghost, power through the church, and power through his weapons. So you have power. Some, somewhere along the way, we have started thinking that only ministry can be used in the gifts. Only ministry can do certain things. But if you got the same Holy Ghost that I have. That means you can be used just as much as I can. I'm not talking about the fivefold ministry. I'm talking about just being a believer in the kingdom of God. Somebody comes to you and says, will you pray for me, for me about this? You don't have to say, you know what, Let, let's get our pastor to pray. There's, there's nothing wrong with that, but you've got the same power to pray and to believe. You've got the same power to cast out devils. You've got the same pastor or the same power to lay hands on the sick. You have that power. Amen. We have to understand the power of strongholds. There are some churches that have legitimate strongholds in them. I'm not talking about just a little influence. I'm talking about strongholds. And the only way that you can break strongholds is through prayer. Prayer. The Bible says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. 
stand against the wiles of the devil. That literally means against the methods or cunning tricks of the devil. Amen. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. So we put on the whole armor of God, which is we begin with the girdle of truth. It means this. It means the most private and precious parts of your life have to be guarded by truth. When you talk about a girdle, it's talking about the reproductive parts of humanity. And if we're going to be reproductive as a church, as God wants us, it has to be by truth. When children are born, they have to be born into truth. If we don't guard ourselves with truth, we'll fall prey to the lies of the enemy. Breastplate of righteousness, and I'm hurrying because I'm watching that clock. This covers the vital organs. It has to be God's righteousness, not ours. Okay, Because this is what Scripture says. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. I'm talking about, think of how good you can be. And in God's sight, it's as filthy rags. It takes the righteousness of God. The shoes, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you for a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I worry about people that always leave destruction in their path. You ever know anybody that it's like everywhere they've walked, you look behind them and they've left carnage behind them? As Christians, when we walk, we should walk in peace. This is why the Bible says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Think of it as two feet. If I'm going to follow the Lord, I'm going to walk in peace and I'm going to walk in holiness. I'm going to walk in peace, I'm going to walk in holiness. There's something wrong when someone's life is always full of turmoil. Amen. Some people cannot exist without drama. I can. I don't have to have drama to have a good day. I don't have to have a problem to have a good day. I just like those days when there's not a problem. I just, I just like peace. It doesn't speak well of your testimony if your life is full of drama. Doesn't speak well of your testimony if you go to work and it's just always something stirred up. Go home, something stirred up. Go to church, try to stir something up. That doesn't speak well of your walk with the Lord. We should follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Then you have to have the shield of faith. 1 John 5 and 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. The devil is constantly launching problems and attacks and thoughts and you name it. And what blocks that stuff is our faith. If you didn't have a shield, you're just open prey for everything. 
and you're just getting hit by all this stuff. But what happens is when the thought comes, God's not going to work this situation out, you push your shield of faith up and you block that and say, no, God, he is going to work this out. When you get a bad report from the doctor, you throw your shield of faith up in the spirit world and you say, no, I'm not going to receive that report. I'm going to receive the report of the Lord. When stuff starts going wrong in your life, God gave you faith to block out all of the stuff that's trying to pull you down. It's not do you have it, it's are you using it? Because it's given unto every man a measure of faith. you got to know how to use that faith. The sword of the Spirit. I'm sorry, the helmet of salvation. It covers your mind and your thoughts. Philippians 4 and 8, whatsoever things are true, think on these things. Philippians 2 and 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Why is it called the helmet of salvation? This is my opinion. I can't take you to chapter and verse. It's in my opinion. If you're going to make it to heaven and you're going to be saved, it's going to be because you do it in your mind first. Because living for God is not a physical issue as much as it is a mental issue. And the helmet guards the mind. Because if the enemy can get you in your mind first, it doesn't matter if you run, jump, stand on your head and spit BBs. It doesn't matter. If he can get you in your mind, he's got you everywhere. I've seen people that were the most talented. They could sing like canaries. They had all the giftings. But right here, this is where the enemy held them captive. That's why scripture says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know how he can get exalted? It's because he first made himself of no reputation and he had his mind where it needed to be. Amen. You have to, you have, to have your mind constantly renewed. Amen. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When Jesus was tempted... He used the same weapon three times. He said, it is written. Did he have a Bible in his hand? He didn't have to. He was the Word. And when, when things come into your life and problems and situations and thoughts, you can use the same weapon that he used. There's been times I went to prayer and I didn't know how to pray. And I took, that, I took that word and I said, God, whatever this book says, just do it. Just do it. You're not going to know it all. You're not going to have all the right words to say. We're limited by our own humanity and our own flesh. But let me tell you what will never fail. Thy word, O Lord, is forever settled in heaven. The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of the Lord 
never fades. This is why the Bible says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You have power through this word. You have power through this word. Prayer, another weapon God gives us. The weapon of prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Jude 1 and 20 says, praying in the Holy Ghost, building up your most holy faith. Acts 4, 31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken. Let me say this, prayer works even when you don't see it working. It works. It takes time to see the effects of it. It's kind of like this parking lot. Brother Donovan sprayed it for us. And even after it was all applied, it still looked green as could be and like nothing was happening. I'd pull up on that parking lot and I'd just stare at it because I cannot stand grass in a parking lot. But it was so wet we couldn't spray it for so long. But all of a sudden, I pulled up and it looked just a little bit lighter. All right, making progress. Pull up a few days later, a little bit lighter. That's how prayer works. Let me prove it to you. Daniel prayed, nothing happened. Most of us would have said, God, I prayed harder than I ever prayed. Next day, nothing happened. Third day, nothing happened. 21 days later, Angel of the Lord shows up and says, Hey, Daniel, I heard you the first time, and I was sent to work on your behalf. But the prince of Persia, I got in a war in the spirit, and I had to call in some backup. But don't think that your prayers aren't being answered just because you don't see something happening right away. You got to just say, God, I said it, I said it to you once, and I'm going to say it again. Though you slay me, I'm still going to trust you. I'm still going to keep praying. I'm still going to keep believing. Even though I don't see it happening, I know something is happening. Prayer, God gave you prayer, not to move or motivate him, but to help your faith grow. Here's what happens. We start praying about a situation and we go into begging mode. We start begging, God, you know I need this. God, you know this will change my life. God, you know I need this to happen. God, please do this. All right, next day we go to prayer. God, you know I need this. And we sound like a broken record. We rehearse the same exact prayer we did the day before, and it's all begging God. And we'll spend weeks, months, and years begging God to do the same exact thing. Will you please do it, God? So this is what the Lord taught me. I asked once. And I thank him from there on out. Because if your kids come up to you and say, Daddy, will you please get me some new shoes? Daddy, please, I need some new shoes so bad. The next day they come up to you, Daddy, I know I told you this before, but I need some new shoes so bad. Will you please give me some new shoes? Number three, Daddy, I know I told you yesterday this, but I want to tell you again, can you please get me some new shoes? You know what? After a while, you'd be like, don't even come. 
I know exactly what you're going to say. You've told me this for three weeks. It's not time yet. All right. In the physical, you'd get ticked off at your kids if they did that. But we do it to God all the time. We do it to God all the time. God, I know I told you this yesterday, but I need you to do, I need you to move right now, God. And we just say the same thing. Ask once. Thank from there on out. God, I thank you for doing it. God, I thank you for making a way when there was no way. God, I thank you for saving my kids. God, I, and just begin to thank him. What is that? That's going from fear to faith. You beg because you're fearful he won't do it. You think because you, your faith feel that he will do it. It's your mindset. It's how you approach God. Amen. This is the Christian's triumph. Romans 8, 35 says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake are we killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. 2 Corinthians 2, 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. There is nothing, nothing, no person, no spirit, no influence of the world. There is literally nothing that can separate you from God and from His love for you. Only what you allow to separate you. It's what you allow to come between you and God. If your temptation is root beer and you've been warned against root beer, and you've been fighting the temptation for root beer. And you walk by the cooler. And there is in the cooler at the gas station is a root beer. It's not the devil's fault that you grabbed it. It's not the store owner's fault that he put it there in front of you. It's what you cho chose to come between you and God. You chose to reach for that root beer. The only thing that can separate you from God is what you choose to separate you from God. The devil can't do it. Do you realize the devil's already defeated? You don't have to defeat the devil. You've got to defeat your flesh. God bruised the head with his heel. God conquered Satan. You don't have to wake up every day and fight the devil. He is defeated. You have to fight your flesh. You have to fight what you crave and what you desire. And so you choose, am I going to let this root beer, if, that, if, if, this, if this ain't the Holy Ghost unless you're battling root beer, then take it as the Holy Ghost. If you get up and you willfully choose to go drink that root beer, then you, don't, you can't blame anybody but yourself. That's it. You have to make up in your mind, I'm not going to drink root beer today. My pastor used to say, don't worry about living for God tomorrow. Live, worry about living for God today. And then tomorrow is going to take care of itself. When you wake up tomorrow, you say, I'm going to live for God today. And pretty soon you're 30 years living for God one day
at a time. Amen. Everybody here is fighting a battle in the Spirit. When you walk out those doors, in fact, while you're in this building tonight, you're going to be fighting in your mind. Do I get out and worship God or do I just stand here? Do I lift my hands in worship or do I just stand here and, and do what everybody else is doing? That's spiritual warfare. That's you having to make up in your mind. Am I going to be spirit-led or am I going to be led by the flesh? Amen. Stand with me right now. Successful people. When I say successful people, I'm talking about people who have lived for God successfully long term. They do it by making right decisions one decision at a time. That's it. How do you spell deliverance? Well, you spell it like this. Consistent, correct choices. CCC. That's what deliverance is. Consistent, correct choices. There's a lot of people that don't need deliverance. They need discipline. When we think of deliverance, we think somebody coming up here, laying hands on them, and they buck and snort and, and spit up black stuff. I've seen it all happen. That's not really, that's one form of deliverance. Let me tell you the other form of deliverance. Telling your flesh no. That's deliverance. When Jesus healed the man that was lame on the bed, this is what he said. Pick up thy bed. Rise, take up thy bed and walk. Why would Jesus even care about the bed? If that was us, we'd have that thing hanging on the wall as a trophy. But Jesus knew something deeper. Jesus knew that this man had allowed this bed to dictate everything he did. The bed dictated his life. And so he had to reverse the roles. And now, by picking it up, he dictated what the bed did. See, true deliverance is when you can control what once controlled you. That's what deliverance is. When you can control what once controlled you. And you do it by making one decision at a time. That's spiritual warfare. That's spiritual warfare. Making up in my mind. When that, when that thought comes into my, my mind that I'm going to do this, and it's not pleasing to God? No, I'm going to do this. And you took one step closer to God every time. And soon your nature starts taking on the nature of Christ. Amen. That's what we're called to be. We're called to, to imitate the nature of God, have his nature within us. Let's lift our hands and thank the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, every person here.